So the scriptures we're looking at this morning is uh, all the way from Deuteronomy 16, 18 to Deuteronomy 21, verse 9. And um, as I've already said before, there's no ways we can go through every single scripture there, but we're looking at the main themes coming out. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. So I'd ask you to turn to Deuteronomy 16, and we're going to be reading verses 18 to 20. Deuteronomy 16 verses 18 to 20. This is the core of all these chapters. Deuteronomy 16, verse 18 to 20. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord God is giving you. And there's our key verse for this morning, verse 20. Justice and only justice you shall follow that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God's word to Israel 3,000 years ago, His word to you and I today as believers who look to Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now I want to show you what it looks like when justice isn't kept to. And so we're going to go to an Old Testament king, 2 Kings chapter 2. Let's turn to this reading, 2 Kings chapter 2. Sorry, 2 Kings chapter 21, verses 1 to 18. 2 Kings 21, verses 1 to 18, and the story of Manasseh, the young child king. Manasseh of 2 Kings chapter 21. I'm going to read his whole life story. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hepzibah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So that's Canaan that we're talking about, that we're going into shortly. Verse 3, For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. When you look at this list of what he did, it's all the things God said don't do. Nearly every single thing. So here he's worshipping the hosts of heaven and serving them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. That was profanity. And he, built, and he burned his son as an offering. And used fortune telling and omens. And dealt with mediums and the wizards. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord. Provoking him to anger. And the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set in the house 
of which the Lord said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander any more out of the land that I gave to their fathers, if only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. And that's what we're busy with now in Deuteronomy. But they did not listen. And Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done, whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Take note of the order of that. The people did not listen, and then Manasseh led them astray as well. We'll come back to that. And the Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did, so he's done more evil than the evil tribes. Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle. God is a God who judges righteously. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and give them into the hand of their enemies. And they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides the sin that he made Judah sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his house in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon his son reigned in his place. What a sad story. But what an example of stepping away from God's ways and his directives. And so let's look at that this morning. On Wednesday the 13th of November, that's in two weeks' time, on the, on the lawn in front of Parliament, there's going to be a protest march. I want to be part of that. And I invite anyone who wants to come with me. I'm going to give you a lift down if you want to come with me. But we need to be showing our faces. You see, on that day, the 13th of November, our members of parliament will vote on whether the bill on the end of life choice bill will become law. At its third and final reading. And if the majority of our MPs vote against the bill, it will be the end of the bill. And there will be no referendum next year, as one of the parties has called for. And then later on in the year, or early next year, we've got the abortion law reform bill that's coming up. And that's going to be a conscience vote by Parliament. And we know what human consciences are today. We really need to be in prayer as God's people because these are our laws 
These are our parliamentarians. We are involved, as we'll see from God's Word this morning. And so we need to be praying for just leaders. That's what this whole passage is about in these chapters. You see, in the West, our democratic government system consists of three branches of government. The executive, or our elected MPs, and then the appointed members, the legislative and the judicial branches of our country's of our country's government. Israel wasn't like us. They weren't a democracy. In the time that we're reading, when Israel left Egypt, Israel was a patriarchy. It had a patriarchal system. In other words, Moses was the sole judge under God, and then they had their tribal traditions and their practices. So that's how they ran. And then at Sinai, when God gave these Ten Commandments to His people, it changed to a theocracy. Theos means God. And God there gave His people His law. He said, I will be your Lord. I will be your God. You will be my people. Moses is my appointed servant. And I will appoint judges to, to help and assist Moses in his task. So that was at Sinai. And then as we are about to enter Canaan now, remember that's where the book of Deuteronomy is, it's on the verge of entering Canaan, that theocracy is refined and God, through Moses, instructs the people to appoint judges and officials in every town that he will give them. So judges and officials are to be appointed in every town that he will still give them. And these judges would be the civil magistrates, with powers restricted to their specific towns. Much like Wanganui District Council can't go and tell the Wellington District Council what to do. They consigned to our city only. And so every city and town would have its judges and its officials to help to see that God's justice and His laws were obeyed. And so the judges were there to make the laws under Moses and the officials were there to make sure that those laws got implemented um, on the ground. And so that's basically how their government system worked. And so Moses' admonition here in these chapters to the people is spe speaking specifically to the judges and the officials. These are instructions to them. And he's telling them to judge the people fairly. Not to allow their delegated power to go to their heads. In other words, they aren't to become officious. They aren't to allow bribery to happen amongst them. They aren't allowed to pervert justice. They aren't allowed to show partiality to any group. But it's also an admonition to the people in general to follow justice personally. To put God's rule and His laws into practice in their own lives. And when they've done that, to ensure that their leaders do it as well. You see, the application of God's laws starts on an individual level and it spreads to the leaders. In the West, we've kind of got it the other way around now. I'll come back to that. But the Lord demanded ethical dealings of every single person before Him. And ethical dealings to the highest order, such an high order that they were impossible. And that was the role of the law, to show this is impossible. But 
I will guide you through the law to someone who will come. And so Moses speaks to his judges and his officials. Now, just another thing before we launch again, and that is just to remind us of these legal terms. The legal term sadiq, which was in the right. And the term rasa, which was in the wrong or unrighteous. The judges were told to be in the right all the time. And not to go to the unrighteous side, to the in the wrong side, the rasa. So we're talking about legally here. But under the righteousness which God reveals to them. So we're not talking about New Testament righteousness given to us by Jesus Christ. We're not there now. So this section of God's laws applies to mainly how Israel's leaders were to apply justice. Who were the leaders? Well, across their history, they had judges. They had priests who had to apply the law. They had kings later, and then the prophets who had to bring God's law and His word to the people. But please note this morning, it is for the people to ensure that their leaders apply these principles. He starts with the people. You apply these principles and keep your leaders in line. And that's on social justice, on personal morality, and also making sure that they don't worship idols or have anything to do with idols. You see, the application of righteousness starts on the individual level, at you and I. And then it moves to leaders who are also individuals before God, with added responsibility. And so Israel's, Israel and the God-appointed leaders were under the authority of God's word to them. The authority that these leaders had wasn't their own authority. It was delegated authority. They only had authority because God gave them the authority. It was His authority through them. And many of the leaders forgot that. The authority went to their heads. And so we have kings like Manasseh, kings like Ahab, just thinking they can do whatever they like. And the danger for these leaders was that the positions would go to their heads and that they'd start thinking that the authority rested with them and not in the delegated authority from God. And this is a word of warning to us today too. There's a principle here. For church leaders, I mean no danger here because you guys will keep me humble, but in mega churches, many leaders have fallen because delegated authority has gone to their heads. And they've started ruling like little, I could call all kinds of leaders to my attention there. New Zealand's leaders and politicians need to take note of this. The power they have, the authority they have is delegated authority from God. They are there to do a work under God, whether they recognize Him or not. It is delegated authority. It, they're not there just because the people put them there. And so all leaders, whether they're politicians, city councillors, elders in churches, teachers in schools, parents at home, the authority we have is delegated authority from God. And so we've got to apply His principles in those spheres of influence that He's put us over. Parents, you're mom and dad because God has made you that. You've got delegated authority to look after your children, 
by the principles God has given you. The law that applies to you applies as much to the leaders of a country as it applies to kings. You see, when individuals are not concerned about keeping God's law and dealing justly at home level, then they will not keep their leaders to account either. And what do leaders then do? When you and I start cutting corners with what's right, our leaders start cutting corners too because they think they'll get away with it. It starts on the individual level. And so we all sin before the Lord. You see the principle here? Now, originally, the officials were appointed to support the people in the maintenance of righteousness. Officials were there to help the people to do what God said they must do. It wasn't the other way around. Today, there's a growing number who think that they have to see how much they can get away with before the officials catch up with them. You see? Wrong order of service. We as individuals are responsible before the Lord. It's not up to the state or the police agents, the agents of the state, to make sure that we keep the law. We are to keep it before God ourselves. They are there to help us in that. Unfortunately, our society has gone so much the other way now. I do what I can to get away with it for as long as I can. We've forgotten the principles of God. And here's a warning Within two generations, the people had forgotten about Yahweh. Two generations. Think about that. They'd forgotten about God's call of righteousness, only righteousness, as we saw in our text. And so during Eli's time, 1 Samuel 1, chapters 1 to 4, Eli's sons, who were priests in God's temple, compromised openly with God's judicial and his religious laws. And they allowed bribery into the temple. They took bribes and they allowed, allowed licentious living in the temple before the throne of God. And they were judged for it. And then soon Israel's kings were supporting and promoting syncretistic faith. That is mixing in the faith of the nations around them with their own faith. And that's why Manasseh goes and puts up Asherah poles in the middle of the temple. Defiling it. And in utter rebellion to God. Doesn't take long. Two generations. Solomon, the wisest king that ever lived, and God gave him that wisdom. What does he do? He gives into seeing as many wives and horses he can gather in one lifetime. Riches goes to his head. And so he loses his wisdom. Because in that aspect, he was dumb. And he starts to worship the idols of the wives that he's brought into his life. He brings an Asherah pole into his life. And this led to more and more social crimes in Israel. Until it leads to Israel's judgment and their exile at the hands of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. You see, God doesn't leave these things. He does punish. But do you see the decline that happens? And it's all because the individual does not keep the justice of God at the forefront. The laws of God. What is right and what is wrong. So that's the first thing. 
they had to pray and look for just leaders before the Lord. The second thing that we find in chapter 16 verse 19 is this. There had to be a just application of law. See, it's one thing to have just laws. It's another thing to apply them justly. And so the Lord says through Moses to his servants, there's to be no partiality in the application of God's laws. You're not to have favorite and not favorite people. You're not to show a group of rich people less law than a group of poor people who can't defend themselves. There's to be no bribery accepted. There's to be no votes accepted. There's to be no MMP government votes accepted. There's to be no election promises made to people so that we can twist God's laws. There's to be no partiality, says the Lord. Why? Here's the reason. Dave touched on it. Well, actually, most of his sermon was on it last week. It's so that justice is to reflect God's character. God is a just God. There is no partiality in God's justice. He's completely just. He's not swayed by emotion or weakness. He's merciful and a God of love, yes, but He's a God of justice. And so the way we apply the law is to show the justice of God. And leaders are to show the justice of God. And therefore, the application of justice should be fair and should always err on the side of mercy as God does. Yes, He's a just God, but He's a merciful God. And the way we apply justice should always err on the side of mercy. And that's why, thank the Lord, our justice system is still based on innocent until proved guilty. Not all countries work that way, by the way. Many African countries don't work like that. You are guilty when the chief says you're guilty. And so, innocent until proved guilty reflects this, whether we recognize it or not, as democracies. It's the mercy of God in the midst of justice. And so, when we bring up our children too, at that home level, we're to show them justice, but we're to show them mercy at the same time. Yes, they've done wrong, but by the grace of God go I as a parent. And so I need to show the right thing to do to them. I need to give them the necessary punishment, but err on the side of mercy. Have a soft heart towards them too. I remember well my mother. She had to bring up six boys. Now, I must say, she wasn't as good with a stick as my dad was. He was really good. My mother used a wooden spoon, which on six boys, wasn't that good, but... But I always remember her heart when she told us to bend over and get what we had coming to us. She always had tears running down her face. My mother. She was smaller than all of us. Justice, but err on the side of mercy. How do we handle our children? Do we show them justice with mercy? You see, that's how we apply God's law justly. We aren't to give them a wet bus ticket justice as they do in our government application today when it comes to applying the law. Smack on the hand, but really, you know, don't do it again, but vote for us. God's law said that you're to protect the weak and the innocent. We're to, when it came to accidental deaths, chapter 19 
speaks about cities of refuge. When you accidentally killed your neighbor who was chopping wood with you, the axe handle came off. Oh, sorry, the axe head came off and it hit your neighbor and he killed him. You could run somewhere for, to not be killed by his family. These were called cities of justice, cities of refuge, rather. They were there for a purpose. They were there so that God's law could be applied justly and fairly and with mercy. That was why those cities were there. I wonder today, when it comes to our current laws in front of us, the abortion law and the euthanasia bill, where are the cities of refuge? Where can an unborn baby flee to? Its mother is supposed to be its city of refuge. Its mother is supposed to care for it. But when the mother comes after it, and I know I'm speaking simply, there are circumstances. Rather, these babies are at the mercy of adults with forceps and scalpels. Our old people, people with permanent disabilities, where are their cities of refuge? We're supposed to look after them. And laws like this will make them feel in the way and make them want to exit this life just to get out the way. Let my children not have to look after me anymore. God's justice applied fairly and with mercy. They even had laws for warfare, chapter 20. If we had time, we could look into all these things, but we don't. And so before you came and brought the justice that God had said you must deliver to a city, God says, show them mercy first. Go and read about that in chapter 20, verse 10. Let's look at this. Chapter 20, verse 10. One verse. When you draw near to a city to fight against it, that's by order of the law, of, of God rather, offer terms of peace to it. And if it responds favorably, then there's a certain way to proceed. If it doesn't, destroy them. So there's even the just application of law during warfare. Offer them terms of peace and then bring the justice into play. We'll come back to that right at the end. There's a third area there that is spoken about and that's in chapter 17, verses 12 to 13. You'll have to jump with me now. Chapter 17, verses 12 to 13. This is what it says. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge who is also there before the Lord your God, that man shall die. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. And all the people shall hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. You see, what happens in a society when we ignore Justice. In Israel's society, if they ignored the priest's word or the judge's word, they were stoned. Capital offense. That's how seriously God took it. Why? Because if they didn't listen to those leaders God had put there, they were in effect coming up in rebellion, direct rebellion against God and saying, I don't want to do it your way, I want to do it my way. And therefore the Lord says, die. I am God Almighty. 
See, when people reject God's justice and clear laws for society, they are also coming up in rebellion. I think of our current justice system. Now, I'm not speaking as an expert here. I'm speaking as a citizen of this country who's lived here for 20 years and observed. And I deal every day with people who are byproducts of a lot of this law. The current justice system needs to take note. Political expediency should not influence the application or lack of application of laws and the making of laws. A party comes in, laws are changed. A party leaves, those same laws are reversed or changed again. Political expediency, not justice. You see the difference? And so we have the current debates on euthanasia law, abortion law, and then substance abuse coming up. All these laws coming up and political expediencies right in the background there. If we have enough votes, we can do this. If we don't, we'll delay and try again later. You see, it deals with us today. And then what about this misuse of power to gain riches? Again, Solomon, he gathered horses and wives, as many as he could. In recent examples in history, we have Robert Mugabe, Jacob Zuma from my country, my ex-country. Clear examples of the same principle. People who gathered to make themselves rich because power had gone to their heads. And not the only ones. They're exploiters, not servants. At a local level, you hear horror stories sometimes on local councils of people wanting to get building plans passed and how officious bureaucrats misuse power. This is rife. And then I've spoken about already, people's respect for authorities is going down the plug hole. If I hear and cringe sometimes when they have these reality programs, I try not to watch them because it just gets me going. About how people speak to the police officers who arrest them for stuff they've done wrong. They swear, curse, they couldn't kill us. There's no respect for the law. In the time of Israel, the rocks would come out, they'd be stoned. They can thank the Lord they don't live in those times anymore. So that's ignoring justice. We do so at our peril. Why? Because when we ignore justice, we come up in direct rebellion against God himself, says these passages. And then the last thing I want to bring to your attention is a future-looking justice. And that's found in chapter 18, verses 15 to 22. Chapter 18, verses 15 to 22. I want to read these verses to you. Follow with me in your Bibles, please. There's a lot of hope here for you and I. But remember, God is speaking to the people in front of him, in front of Moses, for their time as well. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Now, if you've got a New King James Version Bible, it emphasizes who's speaking by putting capital letters if it's God speaking or a person of the Godhead. And you would have read a capital P there now. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, capital P, like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him, capital H, you shall listen. 
Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, and on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see his great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet, capital P, like you from among their, their brothers, and I will put my words in his, capital H, mouth, and capital H, he will speak to them all that I command him, capital H. Who's that referring to? Prophetically to the Messiah who would come later. And whoever will not listen to me and my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. I will judge him. Now verse 20, take note of the capitals. But the prophet, small p, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has, sp has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. He has to die. Now, I know I added that now, but it's said before. Okay? So, what is the Lord saying to Moses and the people? He's saying, I'm going to bring prophets before you who will bring not just my law, but show you how to keep my law and be able to come before me and my throne of grace and be able to make you right before my law again by having blood shed on your behalf. You are to listen to them. And how do you know, sorry, those are priests. The prophets I will bring before you are the ones who will bring my word to you. Thus says the Lord. You are to listen to them. They are bringing you my law. How do you know they're speaking what's true? If what they prophesy, speaking about things to come, if what they prophesy comes true, then they were real prophets. If not, they weren't. They are to die. Don't listen to them. I'll bring you prophets like Moses throughout Israel's history. And when they come and say, thus says the Lord, listen to them. It is my law to you. It is my word to you. And so we have great characters in Israel's history like Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Joel, Obadiah, and many more. They were the prophet of the Lord bringing the word of the Lord and the justice of the Lord in practice saying, listen to what God says. But then he speaks here, as I've just said, about this great prophet with a capital P, the one who is prophesied about, the one who will come, the Messiah. And we read about him in that passage in Psalms 40 that we read earlier in the service. Psalm 40, verses 7 to 10. And the very words that, that were spoken by the psalmist there were prophetic words that Jesus came and spoke later in the book of Luke when he appears in the temple at Nazareth, and he stands up, and he opens the scroll of the Lord, and he reads from the book of Isaiah, and then he sits down and he says, the word that I have spoken to you has now come true. I am the one who is spoken of. Luke chapter 4, verse 21. He not only spoke God's word, but he became God's word right there to the people. And then there's a warning to them in, 
in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 19, if anyone does not listen to him, I myself will call him to account. And that word stands right across history. God is saying, if you don't listen to my prophets, I will call you to account. They are bringing my justice and my laws before you. And he's saying to all of us right across history, if you will not listen to the great prophet Jesus Christ, I call you to account. And I will call you to account. And that's coming. How do I know? We looked at it in Revelation, didn't we? And here it is in Acts. And you can turn the Acts 17, verses 30 to 31. This is what Jesus this is what Jesus is going to do. God's words to us. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 to 31. It's speaking of a time coming. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Here it is, verse 31. Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness. It's not over. How? By a man, capital M if you've got it in New King James, by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Where was God's justice demonstrated the most clearly? The day Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. God says, you have paid for your sin. It is done. It is finished. Now rise to life and save my people. Do you see the justice of God fulfilled? And the Lord says to you and I, listen to him. I have not yet come, but I am coming. Are you ready to meet with this great judge, Jesus Christ? He will judge fairly. He will judge equitably, but he will judge with mercy. If you've put your life in his hands. Are you ready for him? God's justice on display. What do we do with this? Three points of application and I promise you real short. Here it is. First one. Am I applying true justice in everyday life? It's speaking about all levels of our society in New Zealand today. Starts with you and I as parents or individuals, the way we drive, the way we behave. How do we respect the laws of this country? How do we teach the laws and show the law and show justice and mercy to our children? Are we parents who say, do what I say, not what I do? Many politicians say that, you know. Don't do what I do, just do what I say. Do what I decree. Are we people who use our positions of authority for the Lord in dispensing justice in our areas of responsibility? Do we use our responsibility for the good of the people we serve, whatever that area of responsibility is? Or do we use the law as a stick to beat them? Secondly, is our generation guilty of blood guilt? Will we be a generation whose legacy is blood guilt? It's up to you and I. 
Politicians serve the people. They need to be reminded that they serve the people. Where are the people of New Zealand at with the laws of God? Will we be guilty of blood guilt? And as believers, will we be guilty of not making the, bringing to the attention of the people of this country that blood guilt is at stake? Are we keeping this news to ourselves? It's a responsibility God has put on us. Are we going to be responsible for the shedding of innocent blood in this country? You see, the, the, the truth is, unf unfortunately, it is that our culture, that in our cultures, truth is often sacrificed on the altar of perceived self-interest. And I speak very carefully here now. Some of these mothers or mothers-to-be who are voting for pro-abortion are doing so out of self-interest. Yes, I know there's a wider thing here. And I'm speaking as a male. But in a lot of what I hear, I hear self-interest. My body, my way, my decision. What about that little baby? Where is his or her city of refuge? Are we holding our leaders to accounts? It is our responsibility before God as people. And then lastly, are you ready for God's true justice as you sit here this morning? The gospel message comes to you and I, you see. It says He offers you His terms of peace and His unending mercy before bringing you His judgment. That's His laws for warfare. He brings you His peace he brings you His mercy, but He will bring you His judgment if you don't listen to His terms. What are His terms? Really clearly, I'll spell them out to you. John 3, verse 16 to 19. John 3, verse 16 to 19. We should all know this off by heart. Here are the conditions of God to you. Conditions of mercy and grace, but also of what will happen in His judgment if you do not listen and put yourself under that. Here it is. For God so loved the world, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, here it is, conditions, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There's His condition and His condition of mercy and peace. Why? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. There's His mercy on display. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Conditions of mercy. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It couldn't be clearer. You believe or you don't believe. You are saved or not saved. You receive the mercy of God or receive His judgment. Choose this day whether you will serve God or not. And this is a judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus Christ did come. The prophets did come. They spelt the message of God to the people. But people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Their hearts were evil. Their eyes were blinded. They couldn't see. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. 
That's our default setting as human beings caught up in sin. And you and I as the church have the responsibility to take the good news of the gospel to people who cannot see unless the Lord opens their eyes and opens their ears. But who is going to take that message to them? We are. How will they hear unless they have that message put to them? We are that message to them. God is just, but He is God who is merciful. Revelation 21, verses 5 to 8. I'll end with God's word. Let it speak for itself. And he, capital H, who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life, without payment, mercy. The one who conquers will have this heritage. That's to you and I as believers. And I will be his God and he will be my son. And then his judgment. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. His judgment will come after His mercy has been shown. Where do you stand before Almighty God and His judgment? Do you stand inside His mercy or before His judgment? Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, even though this book that we're studying was written to your people, Israel, 3,000 years ago, we know that so many of these principles still apply to us today. Because your justice doesn't change. Your mercy is unchangeable. You are the God who does not change. We are the ones who are to listen to that unchanging message of hope, salvation, and judgment. Lord, open every heart here to hear. And Lord, if it's in areas of our lives that we are not dealing fairly with people, if it's in areas of our lives that we are misusing the authority that you've given to us, may we repent before you and use our, our authority in such a way that people will take note and say, this is justice with mercy in it. I see love here. Lord, help us in our weakness. Help us as parents to show our kids authority which comes from you, tempered with mercy. And Lord, help us as your people, those whom you have saved from darkness and sin, from Tangletown. Lord, help us to take the gospel of hope and salvation to a world who as yet are turning their backs on you in rebellion and wanting to do justice their own way, according to their own whims, and changeable society. 
help us to take the constant gospel of grace to them too so that they can receive the mercy of Jesus Christ. Make us brave and help us to use the situations which your Spirit shows us to speak your word without fear, but with love. Amen.